0: Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well being. Fresh Take. I'm your host, Jessica Stipe, and I have my co-host, Isabel Subia here with me today. We are so excited for today's episode where we're going to be discussing saving the bees. We have our special guest, Dr. Jamie Ellis, from the Honey Bee Research and Extension Laboratory at UF. So, welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Thank you so much. So just to jump into this, Jamie, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into the research center at UF?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually a professor of entomology at the University of Florida, Honey Bee Research and Extension Lab is <laughs> a mouthful, but I work in the Department of Entomology and Nematology and we're okay. a really good department. I didn't fall into bees academically. I've actually been keeping bees since I was 12. So I've been keeping bees 30 years myself. And so it was kind of a youthful pursuit. And when I went off to college at the University of Georgia, I worked in the bee lab there, and I kind of married my two interests, right, science and bees, and I, right. I just kept doing it. So I ended up in Florida. It's a great place to be. And it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good place to study bees. I'm excited to be here.
0: We're excited to have you. And, and <laughs> may I mention, this is Dr. Jamie Ellis. We want to make sure we give him proper recognition. <laughs> so this is really important to me, like I was I was telling you in a previous conversation, just because I think that so many people are hearing, save the bees, save the bees. And they don't really understand what the issue is. So for our listeners who aren't really informed on what's going on, can you give like a quick intro on, you know, what are honeybees and why they're important and why they're crucial to all life?
1: Yeah, so honeybees are one of 20 20- thousand species of bees on the planet right so there's a lot of bees out there the one that we're talking about today of course is the honeybee this bee is important because it is incredibly manageable and because it's manageable we can move it around and in the process of moving it around we can take it to various crops and allow the bees to pollinate these crops so there's an intimate link between the keeping of the bees and the production of food because honeybees are used to pollinate a lot of the crops that we need of course so
0: absolutely so, like I said, right now, I think that we are hearing more about bees and saving the bees than we ever have. So, clearly, there's a crisis. And like I said, for the people that don't understand, I know Isabel is part of the, the younger generation and, you know, even and my my children fall into the same age bracket as her, but even my kids, even the younger generation are saying, hey, you know, what's going on? What's the deal with the bees? So, for anybody that's not, you know, really clear on what's going on, what is the crisis?
1: Okay so i cannot tell you enough how difficult of a question that is. And, <laughs> I, and i'll explain it like this okay so you know this honeybee that we have is not actually native to north america its okay. natural distribution is europe the middle east and africa so where it is native this honeybee is doing quite well right and it's wild populations it's doing quite well but where it has been introduced and it is heavily managed north america among other places its populations have been suffering significantly so it's tricky honeybees are incredibly important to us but it's not like honeybees are disappearing off the planet it's the managed honeybee that's having an issue so the equivalent's not like save the the cape buffalo the equivalent's like save the cow right Right. we we have an agricultural (laughs) issue that we're trying to address okay with that background You know, there are estimates out there that the best data that we have suggests that we're losing about 40% of our managed population every year in the U.S. Now, that's tricky, right? It's tricky because if we were really losing that many uh, of our bee colonies every year, we'd have hardly any left. When when this all started back in 2006, we had about 2.5 million colonies. Oh wow! Well, take away 40% a year since then, and we'd have fewer than 100,000 colonies. But we don't. We have 2.7 million colonies. colonies. So we got this really weird story where beekeepers right. have high colony losses right but somehow the number of colonies we have is being maintained and that's really where the story tricky, is right. yeah right so let's get into
0: that a little bit
1: yeah sure okay so if i'm a beekeeper i am going to lose 40% of my colonies this year that's that's the the us average so if i have right. 100 colonies i'm going to end up with 60 okay but those are gross losses okay okay So if you look at the actual net change, it's an increase of about 1% a year the last decade. So I started with 100 colonies. Somehow I've got to end up with 101, even though I'm going to lose 40. 40. All right, and it's the big difference between gross and net. So what's happening is beekeepers are losing their 40 colonies out of 100. And with those 60, they are working to recover their losses. Gotcha. And because honeybees are so important, the demand for them is so great beekeepers are over are able to overcome those losses and actually increase beyond what they started with so again i'll explain it this way we have 100 we lose 40 and with our 60 we split and recover 41 so with a gross loss rate of 40 percent, we now have one more colony than we started with
0: now how do you do that <laughs> okay and can it be done with money yeah so <laughs> you,
1: you might be surprised right. that the gross number right and the net change are governed by two different things okay the net the actual number of colonies we have is dictated by money when pollination prices and honey prices are high beekeepers find it sustainable or economical to recover those losses if those were to ever crash then we would be talking about net losses instead of gross losses so so it's money that's driving the actual number of colonies we have right economics on the other hand What's driving these gross losses are all the stressors you hear about in the news, right? That's what's, quote, killing the bees. When we're talking about saving bees, what we're really trying to talk about is reducing our gross loss rate and address these stressors.
0: Makes sense. What are your thoughts on this, Isabel? I had no idea <laughs> was split like that. It makes a lot of sense. I must say that I thought that bees in the entire world were dying and the population was decreasing. But now I've been clarified that no.
1: <laughs> it's 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 incredibly tricky, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we it, think think about if any ag commodity took a forty percent hit every year and they were expected to recover because we need it right the government would do tons of things to try to address but you know beekeepers are the ones who are shouldering this burden right they're the ones who are losing 40 percent of their commodity and then having to recover that at great loss to themselves but they're the ones who are shielding us from the effects of net losses if net losses were in fact to start occurring
0: so is there anything that we, just as everyday people are doing, that contribute to this situation or anything that we're responsible for? or there anything that, that we can do to help remedy the situation?
1: Well, I mean, if you think about it, that since this issue is a managed bee issue, it right. probably can be addressed through management. We can talk about that from the beekeeper's perspective maybe shortly, but the general public all wants to know, you know, what's killing bees and what can right. I do to help? And, you know, some of the things that we propose are things that maybe the average person doesn't think of, you know? in my yard when the grass gets tall, I cut it. But if you leave it just a little bit longer, there'll be weeds that come up that produce blooms that are incredibly important to honeybees and other bees. And so it's simple things such as planting uh, wildflowers around the yards that would benefit pollinators, provide pollen and nectar sources. It's responsible you know, pesticide use. I recognize right. I'm on an organic you know, um, <laughs> a podcast here, but 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 I want to point out if, if they're going to use pesticides, the labels are written in a way to minimize the impact Absolutely on non-target right. organisms. So if they just follow the label, it'll be responsible pesticide use and minimize the impact to bees. They can also become beekeepers themselves. Mm-hmm. That's really what this story has produced. This issue yes. of bee losses has made everyone and their brother want Wanna to become bee- a, bee a beekeeper. <laughs> exactly. In fact, by the time I'm done with this, the two of you will as well. So
0: <laughs> yes. So well, you can for become a beekeeper. Yeah, sure. They don't sting you. Sure.
1: <laughs> well, they can though, of course. So the issue here is, you know, you can become a beekeeper. You can support research. Just just knowing more about the issue will make you a better steward of of this important creature that we have.
0: Absolutely. Like I said, I'm, I'm learning so much already because, like you said, there's such a common misconception of of oh, you think that it's bees everywhere, like Isabel said, and it's not. It's really so. It's really just here in the United States mm-hmm. that we're having these issues, and it's from I mean, like you said, you have bees that are being moved around, sure. so they're managed yeah. bees. So re- really, it's the agricultural systems that are having such an impact yeah. on the decline. Yeah,
1: so uh, again, it's, it's I, I would argue that I'm not going to make a blanket statement say that none of the other bee species are declined. There's certainly pollinator decline around the world, but for this particular species, its biggest issue is where it's managed. And here in North America, you know, beekeepers have to keep the bees in order to address the issues that the bees have right. you know you can't just throw chickens in the backyard or cows in the backyard and expect them to do their thing you no, you have to keep them. exactly and so you know beekeepers are facing some some issues that their bees have that they have to address i mean these are the things that are driving these colony losses and they're and they're really you know three management related issues number one it's nutrition okay you know how do we ensure that honeybees have what they need to survive nutritionally number two it's queen quality right every colony is headed by a queen, queen right. and just like you know you want to breed the best bull with the you know the best the best cow or cross the best varieties of corn right. you really want to have good genetics in your bee population so queens are very important and third and probably most importantly is a mite that our bees get called varroa that's v a r r o a a bit of a strange name but this right. is a mite it gets on the outside of the bee, right? Much like a tick does to us, mm-hmm. and it consumes through this the outer shell of the bee, it consumes some of the tissues of the bee and transmits pathogens to them. So this might, just as an interesting aside, right, relative to the size of its host, is one of the largest parasites known on the planet. It would be like you carrying a volleyball-sized tick on your body.
0: Wow. No, thank you.
1: <laughs> so this is the principal issue. So if beekeepers are constantly working to address queen issues, nutrition issues, but even most importantly, these varroa, these mites that are causing such problems.
0: Wow, there's so much to know. So for everybody that's thinking about, oh, I wanna be a beekeeper, just know that there's a lot that comes oh, along with yeah, it. Yeah. responsibility. You, you can't
1: just have bees. You can't be no. a bee haver. You have to be a beekeeper if you're going right. to get in.
0: And clearly you need to have a lot of education uh, before you even step into this to just know what it really encompasses. Because I think, like I said, a lot of people just think it's like, I'm going to go get a dog. No, sure. you, you just shouldn't just go get. <laughs> it's more like
1: I'm going to have a kid. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> it sounds like it for sure. It definitely sounds right like it. Um so as far as like resources what would you like to share with our with our listeners about what resources they have, if they want to contribute, if they wanted to donate, if they wanted to get involved, um, you know, what can they do on, on a level to say, okay, you know what, I support this, I want to help with this, I want to be involved with this, I want to learn about this. What resources are out there?
1: Sure, so, you know, bees are incredibly out there. And what I mean by that is if you just Google honeybee, you're going to find a ton of labs. So of course, I work at the University of right. Florida, we have an, an incredible honeybee research and extension yes, laboratory here. So we put out a lot of resources that you can find through our website, land grant institutions around the country a lot of them have bee programs there's ways to donate and support the bee research or the bee extension and instruction efforts at these places you know our own lab website you can go online there's a donate page like i shared earlier you can become a beekeeper you can attend a lot of our training events and workshops but there's just lots of ways to get, to involved. get involved oh there's so many ways yeah yeah
0: That's you know awesome.
1: it, it, it's not really hard to find honeybees no. right? Every, everybody wants to talk about them they're you know they're, they're written about. There's tons of social media available. There's tons of YouTube videos on how to keep bees, and labs such as mine provide a lot of training. You, you might even be surprised to find out there are local bee clubs scattered around Florida, state bee clubs, national bee clubs. They're All just over, absolutely everywhere. Right.
0: Well, I found out about the local bee clubs. Ironically, I, I was ill. I wasn't feeling well, and. One of the physicians that I went to see I said, oh, you should, you know, you need, you need honey, but you need local honey. You need honey. <laughs> yeah. hun- so, cause I was experiencing, sure, well, issues, right. Probably. I was having allergy yeah. issues. Um, and I said, okay. And so it, it spawned off into this whole conversation. And like you said, then you learned that there's, okay, there's clubs for this. And there's, there's so much uh, that I didn't know that I got a, a quick education on just walking into an appointment and walking out with, okay, well, this is what I need to do. And this is where I can go to get it, and This is a club I can participate <laughs> you in. You know,
1: honeybees will teach you there's clubs for everything thing right? right people people come together for all sorts of reasons but there's probably thousands of bee clubs on planet earth I mean I speak at a lot of them every year so it's it's incredible the network we're almost like a hive you know a colony like your a, own colony right? right yeah
0: right exactly well wow I'm so like I said this this definitely opens my eyes to really getting a better understanding of what's actually going on and what's happening and when you hear save the bees what's really behind save the bees and what we can do like you said you know leaving your grass and cut a little bit longer <laughs> planting some wildflowers things that you can do at home you know things that our farmers can do about making sure that they have areas of
1: yeah of, that's perfect what you're about to say exactly you know farmers think about you know if, if you think about the average field I don't know how big it would be five acres and if it's got blueberries in it there's right. a large part of that field that's not cultivated right right the rows the edges etc. So a lot of work is going into providing bee habitat just in these margins, these, these margins that historically might have been treated with herbicides just right. to keep mm-hmm. the weeds down, but now could be planted with beneficial. Grow, right. Exactly. Plant some wildflowers, exactly. let it grow, exactly. that in itself. Same is true about like the roadside. I mean, they, right. you know, the government spends so much time cutting grass. What if it were seeded with wildflowers that would be beneficial and to some
0: wildflowers just grow naturally and they come and exactly. cut it and I get really mad because exactly. it makes your drive home so much more pleasant to see. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Upper East Tennessee where there's... there's... There's wildflowers (laughs) everywhere. So when I see them here, it's such a pleasure. And then they're gone. So to all of you people listening that are taking our wildflowers away, leave them. We need them to save the bees. Absolutely. It's important. But yeah, like I said, with the farms, you know, like I said, you think about uh, there's so much unused land. Like even people have crops, like they have specific crops. There's still areas that could be used for wildflowers. And I mean, clearly having bees on your farm it's not going to be a hindrance. It's a help.
1: Sure. And some of the coolest research that's kind of out there in the bee world now is, is it looking at, in fact, providing floral resources for bees and specifically looking at farm habitat, converting it. Th- think about it from this perspective. You can actually plant stuff that's beneficial both for the bees and for cattle, for example, right? You can plant clovers right. that, that cattle can eat later, but that bees can pollinate right. now. So, I mean, there's just lots of research going into multiple use strategies where, where you know, agriculture can still be satisfied, but while right. we're benefiting pollinator populations. And of course, this translates into food production. The estimates out there that honeybees are responsible for one out of every four to five bites of food we eat. Wow. It's incredible. That, that is incredible. That the way that I teach this is take the average McDonald's cheeseburger okay. from north to south. All right. You ready? It's from north to south. It's bun, onions, pickles, ketchup, mustard, cheese, meat, and bun. Right. If I were to snap my finger and make bees disappear, we would have the bun because bun is from grains that are right. wind pollinated, but we wouldn't have onions because onions are grown from plants that have to be pollinated by bees in order to have seeds to plant for onions. Right. You wouldn't have pickles because nope. pickles are from cucumbers that honeybees have to pollinate. You wouldn't have tomatoes and for ketchup and you wouldn't have mustard for mustard. Right, And even the cheese and beef come from Cattle. Kettles. That eat clover and alfalfa and other commodities that bees have to pollinate. So, so you really, have a bun. You have a bun. Exactly. And so that puts into perspective how important a honeybee is, even to something as simple as a McDonald's cheeseburger.
0: That really puts it into perspective. There you go. <laughs> That's why we need to save the bees. <laughs> there you go. They're, I always
1: argue, and this is dangerous to say on, on an, an ag podcast, but I always argue that they are the most important ag commodity that we have. But because they sting, they're they're easy to ignore.
0: I would agree with that. (laughs) I'd be right there with you. Is there anything else that you want to add or any questions that you have? Yes. The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) Mind blown. I have a a question. What is your favorite part of being a
1: beekeeper? Yeah, that's a great question. One of, you know, I I, I write a column for, used to write a column for our our national magazine. And the first article I wrote was why keep bees. And, And, you know, for the scientists, there's academia in a beehive. For the grower, there's horticulture in in the bee world. For the carpenter, there's carpentry in managing bees. For the artist, there's art. And so my favorite part is just when when I work a colony, you know, at home, I get lost working my bees. You know, time right. flies. I forget mm-hmm. what's happening, and I just enjoy what is happening. It puts me outside. It helps me work with nature. and and in my mind, I know it's beneficial. From the academic professional perspective, there's a couple of things I like about it. Number one, I help I like helping other beekeepers. Uh, improve the health and sustainability Absolutely. of beekeeping. Number two, we do a lot of training for future bee scientists. You know, we're we're training graduate students and undergraduate students at University of Florida to make future bee scientists. That's fulfilling, and, and deep inside, I know we're doing a lot of work that's ultimately going to help our bee populations, and that there's going to be trickle up effects to helping us and the environment. So, it's very satisfactory. So. I just like really all aspects of it: teaching about it, doing research about it, but perhaps most importantly, just physically working just colonies. It yeah.
0: You mentioned that you started this when you were around twelve. Was it something that you wanted to do? That your family just said, "Okay, hey, you know, we'll let him pursue his interests? or was this like so, a family thing? So
1: that, yes and no. I, okay. I, I became interested when I was somewhere around seven or eight. But okay. Beekeeping's not in my family, so what parent is going to run out and buy your colony? you a colony kid, <laughs> a colony bee. So it took me about four years to convince them that I was serious about this, and so. around 12 I'd finally aggravated them enough to where they hooked me up with a friend of a friend who became my mentor yeah and then he passed away very shortly after me knowing him and left me his colonies and so it was just me on my grandfather's dairy farm in East Central Georgia and my bees and so I learned what to do to keep them alive and what to do to kill them. So, <laughs> out of that came of that. you know kind of a lifelong interest. In but working. now, like
0: I said, clearly you developed a pa- well. You spent years probably researching to get enough information mm-hmm. to convince your parents mm-hmm. to let you do this. It
1: took a while, yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, and then you developed a passion because I mean, now look, here you are, sure. and not only are you still keeping your bees, but you're educating not only us but society about what they need to do, the importance of it, and how to keep bees. And so my, that's amazing. Yeah,
1: my team and I are very fortunate. We have hundreds of workshops that we speak at every year to thousands of beekeepers. We answer thousands of emails every year, phone calls. We do all the social media. We 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 don't even have a good estimate of the tens of thousands of people. You know, we're able to impact through our program every year. And it's all because we, again, work at such a great institution like the University of Florida. Absolutely.
0: Go Gators. Go Gators. (laughs) Uh, If somebody wanted to get in contact with you at UF or had questions specifically for you or wanted to attend one of your workshops, um, how would they get in touch with you directly? Yeah, so
1: we're really easy to find. Our website is www.uf honeybee.com www.ufhoneybee.com. We also have great social media websites where our social media sites where we post all of this kind of information. information. And you can find us at UF Honeybee Lab at UF Honeybee Lab. And from those two places, you can access our videos, our documents, our training events, our podcasts, et cetera.
0: I love it. Well, once again, this is Dr. Jamie Ellis from the University of Florida, and we are so thankful to have him here today to give us a lot of information. I know Mm -hmm. I just got mind blown. Isabel did as well, Mm -hmm. so I'm sure that all of you are having a wow moment if you like this episode if you want to hear more about saving the beast like I said you can contact Dr. Jamie Ellis at the University of Florida he's giving you his contact information you can always reach out to us at fog uh, at foginfo.org and we'll be glad to make the connection or answer any questions that you may have as always I'm your host Jessica Stipe and we thank you for listening Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support.